Police have identified more victims and plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Confirm earlier reports of cannibalism. The building was a scene of ghoulish slaughter. A large kettle on the stove which held boiled body parts. Identified four victims. Killed even more. Plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Had sex with some of his victims before he killed them. And that he was also a necrophiliac. You are now listening to Grinding True Crimes with your hosts, Maddie Matt, Todd Fox, and Gabby Gab. Hey, 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 welcome to another episode of the Grinding True Crime podcast with your uh, host, Maddie Matt, along with our narrator for today, Todd Fox, and the other host of the show, Gabby. And we are here live, breaking down another true crime episode. Before we get into the story, I want to let you guys know, follow us on our Facebook and Instagram page, uh, Grinding True Crime Podcast, and uh, if you want to listen to us on your podcast medium, uh, just uh, type in the Grinding True Crime, and you can find us on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, and all those good things. So, follow us on the Grinding True Crime Podcast. Also, listener discretion is advised, because we do go into details in the story and it could uh, disturb some of the view uh, listeners so listener discretion is advised now with all that being said Todd Fox you have the floor brother tell us your story all right thanks guys um, this one is the story of Ariel Castro I don't know if you guys are familiar with this gentleman I knew him from high school probably a different not not the same one not the same one oh okay you'd you'd be much older if you knew this guy Uh oh yeah yeah how about you gabby you've heard of ariel castro no it doesn't sound familiar all i think about when you say ariel is little mermaid oh (laughs) yeah you're way off as well (laughs) okay so ariel castro was born on July 10th, 1960. He was oh, yeah. A, yeah, he was the youngest of four children to the Pedro uh to Pedro Castro and Lillian Rodriguez in Puerto Rico. During his childhood, okay. the fa- the family would have a lot of land though in Puerto Rico but had no running water or electricity, so the land was pretty much like useless. So often they struggled just to put food on the table. And with the farmland not able to produce or the lack of water and weather conditions uh, during this time, they were pretty poor. Uh, Pedro's father, though, poor or not poor, uh, did not uh, did not exactly uh, do the most upstanding thing as a father. He had extramarital affairs all over the place on Lillian, including with a neighbor just a mile away from the house. Which, oh, wow. Which produced four children. Whoa. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. So, so. He had the babies with the neighbors as well? Yes. He had four of his own with his wife and four with a woman that lived just a mile away. That's wrong. Well, he had a football team. <laughs> just about. <laughs> um, yeah, he was just one short of 11. Um, there you go. Lillian soon found out about the affair, which was his wife, and promptly left Pedro, as she should have. Mm-hmm. Um, she migrated to the U.S., leaving Ariel with his three other siblings 
um, with Pedro, which Pedro decided to do the honorable thing. And he stayed with uh, the woman down the street and left his kids basically with his grandparents or with his parents. So the mom left everybody? Yes. Okay. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, she abandoned no. all four children. Stupid she said, screw all of your loins and you. <laughs> it's the man that did it, not the kids. That's wrong. The kids reminded them of her. Yep, so already you could see where this is going to affect the kids. Oh, yeah. So <clears throat> Pedro would um, would then, like I said, abandon Lillian's kids and um, and do his own thing. Um, so he said he never spoke of... Uh, he, when he was with his, living with his grandparents um, in the neighborhood, he got abused by a couple kids in the neighborhood as well, sexual uh Sexually. Oh, yeah. Wow. So it left him embarrassed and he never spoke up about it. So this is what he told detectives years later. Um, two years after leaving her kids, Lillian would spend, uh, would send for them with the grandparents because she had established herself in Pennsylvania uh, in 1966. Um, so she got a job and an apartment for them to live. So she actually had them come over to the United States to stay with her. Um, but as soon as the kids arrived with her at her apartment, she began to verbally abuse them and berate them, then physically beating them with sticks, belts, and small pieces of wood. Oh, crap. Wait, this was the grandma? This is the mother. This is the mom. Oh, they came with the mother. Yeah, yeah the mother had sent from uh, sent for them from Puerto Rico. And then oh. as, soon, as soon as they came over, she started abusing them. It reminded them too much of home. What is the point of that? Why even bring them? I have no idea. I mean, if you're if you're gonna do that, it just doesn't make any sense. No, you might as well just left them where they were. Yep. So that was in 1966. By this time, Pedro or um, Ariel is six years old. Oh, two, man. two years later, this would be 1968. Good old dad would come with his family that he. Uh, inherited down there in Puerto Rico to Cleveland, Ohio. Pe- Pedro would also bring his uh, two older uh, brothers, and which had money in Puerto Rico. They would make some money doing oddball jobs in America, in the Cleveland area, and would actually get up enough money to open up a small restaurant and a small used car lot. So this is this is Ariel's father and, and his two uncles doing all this. Mm-hmm. Um. In 1970, with the success of Pedro, uh, Lillian decided, you know what? Pennsylvania is a little too difficult. I'm going to move our kids and myself to Cleveland. So she and she came over to Cleveland as well. Um, so fast forward, the both families are in the same neighborhood in Cleveland. Um, it's 1976, and Ariel is in high school, and he learns how to play guitar. Good enough... Okay good enough to start playing in local nightclubs in the in the area uh, okay yeah so he's getting it you know he's getting himself uh in tune to the cleveland area so <clears throat> in 1980 he began to also get to know um or get to uh, in 1980 he began to play bass and got in a band and um he met up with a woman a young waitress at one of the uh, clubs called gramilda gramilda Ramilda, yes. So at this time, at in uh, 1980, he's 20 years old. Okay. 
he hooks up with Gramilda. She's 17. Well, there you go. So what do you think? Yeah, it's not too bad. What do you think a 20-year-old and a 17-year-old do right away once they hook up? Hey, they do the birds and the bees, I would think. And what usually comes from the birds and bees? Babies. Baby bees. Oh, yeah. And uh, that's exactly what happened, you two. They, uh, she becomes pregnant immediately. At the, well, yeah, this pull-out game was <laughs> was lacking. How do you know he was trying to pull out? Oh, well, he did. Oh, okay. There you go. Good point. <laughs> That's true. Carry on. Okay. So, <laughs> so in 1981, Ariel named his son, of course, Junior Ariel Castro. Of course. Yes. Now, before this, uh, the kid was born. He treat he treated Grimilda really good. The families mm-hmm. both approved of the relationship. They liked the fact that they were going to have a kid. It was all roses. Mm-hmm. But, but this would off this would really change as soon as uh, young Junior was born. His machismo and abusive, controlling behavior started. Oh, <clears throat> here we go. Yeah, here's where it starts to turn. So even though his son was an infant, he insisted Grimilda should bring him to clubs that he played at. So he could show off his son to patrons and people that came to see him or to friends and, you know, and people of the clubs. But the problem is taking a newborn infant out in the cold and at 2 a.m. is uh, something you shouldn't be doing too often. at even Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or to clubs to begin with. Exactly. (laughs) I know Gabby having two girls, if your husband or Matt would say, hey, let's uh let's take the kids out late at night, even at their age. I'm pretty sure you would put a pause to that, right? Yep. Yep. So, um, so one night she did that just, just what you would have done. And she said, no, I'm not going to bring him. And she refused. So after the gig, he came home, dragged her outside. Oh, punched her in the face. Oh, pushed her face into the concrete with his boot. Oh, crap. This would happen several more times after minor things that would set him off. So she would, yeah, so she would have to often do what they did back in the 80s and even before that, cover her face with concealer, makeup, because she had to uh, cover up her black eyes, bruises, things of that nature. What in the world happened? Yeah, he he just changed. He flipped. Yep. So two years later, Gramilda would become pregnant again because that's what you want to do in a, an abusive relationship. I'm sorry, that name is just killing me. <laughs> Gramilda? Yeah, man. I know, I know. It just that's sounds her. like a, a, a nursery rhyme name or something. <laughs> it sounds like a girl's clothing store yeah. to me. Gramilda High. <laughs> I know it should be something out of the 1700s or something. Yeah. But, My uh, bad, man. No, you're good. You're good. You're good. <laughs> So um so she became pregnant again. Okay. This time she had a daughter named An- Angie. Okay. Um, his rage got more uh more and more apparent because he would uh he would just <clears throat> get after her even if she was exhausted and and he and he told her to do things and if she she didn't do it when she when he asked he would just punch or beat her or throw her down to the floor sometimes <sighs> sometimes knocking a tooth or two out. Whoa. Yeah, this guy was a uh, very violent. So before taking her to the dentist or the hospital, he made sure that she would not tell on him. 
Mm. Of course. Yeah. She, and so, so that was the only way she was able to go if she swore to him that she wouldn't say or do anything. So a few weeks later, on a trip to the hospital, doctors began to see that that um, her lies about doing things to herself or accidents, it was too frequent to be something that wasn't uh, spousal abuse. So um, they didn't buy it? They didn't buy it. So um, <clears throat> they um, contacted the police about the domestic issues that they felt that she was having. Um, but they would... Uh, the police would not investigate. Surprise, surprise. Of course. We expected that. Yes. Um, they took her word, number one. Mm-hmm. And number two, when they actually prepared to go investigate, they already had tipped their hand, so he knew he was under investigation, so they moved uh, apartments. So the cops, yeah. would, the cops would come to an empty apartment when they actually did get off their duff to uh, investigate. Wow. So once again, the police are... Uh, being they shushing. living up they living up to that standard yeah they sure are. <laughs> <laughs> yep so fast forward to 1988 uh Grimilda would have give birth to her third child which is emily so that's her second daughter that's a good year yeah 1988 yeah that's because he was born oh, that hey, year. hey. <laughs> well, as long as you didn't say the dodgers in it we've been all right oh of course not <laughs> whatever <laughs> still sore moving on <laughs> so um, then they would have their fourth child another girl in 1990 so mm. four kids wow so four kids mm-hmm. so money was tight at this time with an apartment get this of six people and a family that ne- needed a bigger place and more money wasn't getting it six people in an apartment in a one bedroom apartment actually god yeah, so that's not really um, getting things done. Ariel that's not would, comfortable. No, 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 it wasn't. But at this time, Ariel would apply at Cleveland Municipal School District as a bus driver. Okay. Now, and he was doing his gigs. So if he lands this bus driver job, it pays really good. It's for the city. It's for the district. And he's still playing in clubs, making some ends at nighttime. So if he can just land this job, He'll, you know, the family should be in good shape. Now, the, there's one creepy thing that was written on this application. Oh. And, <laughs> yeah. And I have to read this because one of the questions was, um, what, what would qualify you for this position? What do you think he wrote as an answer? Uh, for the bus driver one? Mm-hmm. I'm good at making kids. <laughs> no. <laughs> Hey, you said creepy. <laughs> um, it's close though. Something creepy. Uh, <laughs> I'm good with other people's kids. Very close. Okay. Very close. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I love kids. Almost right there. He literally put, "I love working with children." Wow. <laughs> I'd be like uh, with a huge stamp of a red thing that says <laughs> nine. No. <laughs> yeah. You know what though? In those days, they're like, "Aw, he's, he's good with kids." He's good with kids. Yep. And, and the school district, if you know, I know it's in Cleveland, but if this was in the South, when they saw that answer, they were all, "All right." <laughs> <laughs> Why they got talk like that, man? I don't know, man. That's what I figure what they would say. All right. <laughs> so so he was hired in February of 91 
<clears throat> wow. Yeah. So with this good paying job and the club gigs, in 1992, Ariel purchased a house uh, uh, in Cleveland. Remember this address, 2207 Seymour Drive from his uncle. Drive. <clears throat> yeah. Get this. Okay. It was a five bedroom home. Mm. And granted, it was an old house, but it was two stories and it had a basement and a backyard. How much do you think he paid for that? It's the ninety. It's the nineties. I'm gonna say he paid five thousand dollars for it. He like mm. bought it. You mean like the total or like his mortgage? No, he bought. He bought it off of his uh, uncle. His uncle. Yeah. So yeah, I'm gonna say five thousand. Whole house like that? I'm gonna say he got it for like thirty grand. Uh, I th- Matt was actually closer. I thought it, it was only twelve grand. What? Wow. Uh, but I should have mentioned the the neighborhood was pre- predominantly Puerto Rican and riddled with crack cocaine at the time. That oh, okay. The, that probably would have dropped the value. <laughs> that'll that'll do it. That was my oh, bad, Gabby. Grand, I should have explained yeah, that. There, there you go. A five bedroom house. <laughs> yep. Bedroom. In the ghetto. <laughs> Good luck getting that for like seven hundred thousand now. Yeah, right. Jeez, <laughs> dang, twelve racks. Okay. Mm-hmm. So why are they racks? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> another topic for. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to definitely address that one another yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so he bought it for twelve thousand. Okay. Yes. Yes. So at this time that. As everyone knows, in the United States, the crack em- epidemic was at its height. At oh, time, yes. Late 80s, early 90s. Oh, yes. <clears throat> but the crack didn't affect Ariel as much because Ariel was dealing with his own demons. He would start padlocking the doors and windows from not the inside, but the outside. Keeping wow. the kids and his wife locked up with no way to exit and keeping control of them when he was gone. Wow. Yeah, he's got a control problem. He sure does. <clears throat> so then one day he he um, purchased a scary mannequin and dressed it up and put it in one of the empty rooms in the house. He would, Ooh. yeah, he, he dressed it up real scary, put uh, real trippy makeup on it. And he said that he told the kids and he terrified the kids by telling them that if they did anything out of line, he would make them sleep in there with no blankets, lock the door with a mannequin at night. Dang. Yeah. Dang. What in the world is wrong? What's wrong with this dude? Hey, that would traumatize me. Right? I wonder what the mannequin looked like. That's, you know, we only have a description. Jeffrey Dahmer? Probably. No, I'd be doing everything he told me. Yeah. I know Gabby's like, what else do you need, Dad? What else do you need? Yeah. (laughs) Here, let me take off your shoes. You want some lemonade? Oh, Oh, man. I know, man. If I was his son, I'd be like, foot massage, dad? Foot massage? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Need anything else rubbed? <laughs> oh, no, no. no. <laughs> okay, man. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Please stop. Pause. That sounded so wrong. Hey, nasty. You can't blame me for that one. You sounded so bad. That was pretty bad. <laughs> okay, gross. <laughs> <sighs> wow. Wow. Hey, oh. Hi, oh. So in 1993, things got even worse. Grenilda at this point had been pushed down the stairs several times during arguments or physical abuse. So this is like an old creaky house, wooden stairs, and he pushes her down the stairs just for the hell of it. Dang. 
Yep. So, but so he it, just hates her, huh? Yeah. I mean, whatever happens, physical or whatever, it's it's got to be physical abuse. Like the, any kind of argument always turns into that. So in 1993, he went a little too far. He pushed her down the old wooden steps uh, one too many times, but at the but by the time she reached the bottom, she was unresponsive. She, be, she began to have seizures. She would be taken to the hospital hours later, not immediately, hours later, to only discover she had fractures of her skull from front to back. Dang. Yeah, he made her wait. Did they finally figure out that this guy's doing something to her? No, let's check this out. So Gramilda uh, needed surgery right away to open, um, to relieve pressure in her skull and to fix her the, the fractures in her skull. Mm -hmm. But upon doing the surgery, the surgeons found that she had a hardened blood clot, which turned into a tumor. Mm -hmm. The tumor was in a spot in her brain and skull that if repla uh, repairing it or trying to surgically remove it would kill her. So basically the doctors told her she was a ticking time bomb and that the tumor would eventually kill her. Wow. <clears throat> so despite this, she kept quiet about the abuse, even though the doctors once again would, would raise concerns and say that there was something to this. Nothing happened. Oh, that is dumb. Wow. Yeah. This was her one chance. Mm-hmm. So check out the trauma that comes next. Just two weeks after this, the hospital, Ariel came home drunk and began to attack her again. So her head's not even fully, completely close to healing, and he's attacking her. But Ariel's son, Junior, ran to the corner and, and saw a police officer and came to his mom's aid. Looking for Ariel, they found him because he's a pansy. He left uh, the, the mom on the floor, and he was in the uh, someone else's backyard. They found him, and they arrested him. Finally. Uh, yes. <clears throat> so he finally had something on his record. But Gramilda dropped the charges. Oh, oh my God. Yes. You got to be kidding me. These, I will never. You got to be kidding me. I mean, nope. I know it's not, I don't know what it's like to be in that situation, but why? Like, I don't understand women that do that. They I don't, probably feel like that's all they got. Nobody else would want me, especially with four kids, you know? It's not about who wants you. Get your butt up, go work, and take care of your children. Why are you going to deal with that and put your kids through that? I agree. It should come down to self-preservation and your kids' self-preservation, not your relationship or marriage. Yeah. Probably scared. Yep, yep. Fear. And um, here's the problem. The city was actually looking to pro pro prosecute Ariel despite Grimilda's dropping of the charges. So they actually took him to court. But even the judge said without her testimony or the kid's testimony, they had nothing, no leg to stand on. And eventually the case was dismissed. Wow. Although the officers were pressing staff. That, yeah, that makes sense. Wow. Mm -hmm. So 1994, despite all this, his school uh, job was not affected, and he also uh, had a clean record. He had a clean freaking record. Wow. <laughs> so I um, can tell where this is going. Yeah, yeah. And. Well, I get slapped on their hands. Oh. 
but but see the thing is with this one though he did have an opportunity to reconcile and he tried to get her back but in the middle of the night sensing attack was coming on after he was coming home from the club Gramilda did the first smart thing and took the kids and went to her mom's house so, mm. leaving him for good she would never return good so she was able to get away but uh, with him gone now or with the family gone and him in a five bedroom home by himself this would take Ariel to a darker deeper place um, he would begin to fortify the house with locks and boarding up other uh, rooms soundproofing them turning one into a sex slave room and he, wow. and he began to now fantasize about kidnapping wow okay <clears throat> so we'll take a pause on him for a minute and talk about Michelle Knight Michelle, oh it's a new name yeah this is a new name keep this one in mind Michelle Knight was born in 1981 her parents a younger uh, to her parents and a younger twin uh, set of brothers who lived inside the car with a family member in the Cleveland area. Mm. So they were poor as hell living out of a car. Okay. Uh, but they would find themselves a home with 12 other people in a drug infested area, not too far from where Ariel lived in Cleveland. Um, and even though they shared it with some family and some just locals that shared that house, that was pretty much uh, an abandoned drug house. Uh, the shelter was welcomed, but she never had a place of her own or a room to sleep in. She was always on the floor, always ducking, you know, um, other people. And just it was a cramped way of living. But at least she wasn't out of a car or outside. Mm -hmm. um, one night, um, she, you know, she began to um, feel someone put their hands on her. And it was her uncle and his friend. And they began to uh, sexually molest her. And this would go on for two months. What? Yeah. And being that crowded, nobody else noticed? They waited for everyone to go to sleep. So wow. they would do this to her frequently. So How old is she at this time? She's 15. Wow. So by this time, she's just had enough. And uh, at the age of 15, she snuck out of the house one night, just with whatever she can carry of her own and into the bitterly cold area of Cleveland. She would almost freeze to death one night, but she would find us a, a bench underneath an overpass or a, like a little area that, that was a little bit warm from the street. And she'd be found by a drug dealer, a local drug dealer by the name of Sniper. So- Wow. <laughs> yeah. This, this, I'm telling you, this story has many twists. Um, <laughs> So on her 16th birthday, Michelle would be groomed by the drug runner uh, as a drug runner by, by Sniper, which was a local drug dealer. Mm -hmm. He would groom her to be, uh, he would teach her how to collect money and he would train her how to shoot a 22 caliber gun if she needed to use it in defense. Mm -hmm. So for six months, she lived really good at the dude's apartment. The dude kept his hands off of her and for whatever reason, just liked her as a person and just treated her right fed her and took care of her and for the first time she had a bed of her own so she was feeling pretty good mm -hmm. wow until fate would have it sniper would get into a shootout with an undercover drug uh drug agent police agent and he would be arrested so she was arrested as accomplice but uh what happens is as fate would have it she would be turned in to her parents her oh. parents would get her back 
but by this time they had a better place of living so they weren't living in that house mm -hmm. she went to school and she met a young kid who she thought who was a senior in high school by the name of Eric we don't know his full name but Eric um, would well what, do you, what happens when two teenagers hook up <laughs> well same thing same thing they get pregnant <laughs> yeah pretty much so um she um she becomes pregnant and has a at child 16? at 16 yes okay and uh they uh they actually start to uh, you know they have a relationship michelle's having a good day or, or a good time with him and things are moving along however um one day the the husband breaks up with a wife um, or, or a husband uh, the, not the husband I'm sorry the, her father breaks up with a mother the mother mm -hmm. gets a boyfriend named Carlos she moves him into the house she finds out almost two days prior that Eric you know the baby's already born you know you know it's a little boy you know whatever that uh, Eric has or Eric has two other girls that he's seeing so those two girls she feels like you know she's been used so she breaks it off it's just her and the boy now carlos moves in the house as her little boy joey gets a little older now in 19 uh what is it uh, or he was born in 1999 but a couple of years later in in uh 2001 uh close to 2002 so it was almost three years old the boy um mm -hmm. he pees on himself on the couch and it leaks onto the couch mm. uh, Carlos gets upset, which is the which is her mother's boyfriend, mm -hmm. and he yanks the uh, child's arm so hard he breaks it. <gasps> Ooh, yeah. Um, she takes little Joey to the hospital, and was just explaining that he fell and hurt himself. And um, usually that works, right? Because why would Carlos want to tell on himself? Mm -hmm. why, would, why would she you know she's saving him by not saying anything but Carlos does a fate another fateful thing that goes that would probably scar her for the rest of her life and that is he actually tells the truth mm. Carlos tells the doctors that he in fact broke the child's arm so the doctors do what they do in these situations they call DCS and uh Ch the Department of Child Services, the police come down as well, and they take little Joey, and now she's got to work to get Joey back. Mm. Yeah. So social workers hear her scream as they take Joey away, and now fast forward to um, August 23rd, 2002. She's been doing parenting classes. She's trying to get some sort of custody back. The kid's been in foster care this entire time or in the system. So August 23rd, 2002, with her family being absolutely unreliable, nobody has a car or they're just not around. She has no mm -hmm. ride to downtown. She's trying to search for some someone to take her downtown. She's not too familiar with the downtown area. She starts wandering towards that way, almost running down the street because she doesn't want to be late for her appointment to have her child back. Mm -hmm. As she's running down the neighborhood, she stops in and and at a, a dollar store to ask for directions if she's going the right way where who do you think she runs into her uncle no no she runs into creepy oh ariel bingo you 
Gabby got it right. Ariel Castro was lounging around in the Dollar Tree mm-hmm. when he heard her voice and was asking the patrons about where where to go. He spoke up immediately and said, hey, I can take you in my orange pickup truck. I have nothing to do. She said, yes, yes, please. I've only got 20 minutes. You know, can you take me downtown? He was like, absolutely. Just hop in the car. And he told her that, you know, hey, I know I know you have a little baby boy. I know you're trying to get him. You know, my dog um, or my daughter's dogs just had uh, puppies. You know, do you guys want one? And I'll give one as a as a surprise. And she's like, well, maybe on the way back. And he's like, no, you know what? It my house is on the way down there. I can drop you. Um, what is it? I could. Uh, we could get a real uh, puppy for him. And then when you get custody, you can give him the dog. So somehow, some way, he talked her into just stopping by the house. Oh crap. Mm-hmm. So the uh, <clears throat> the surprise. So she accepted the invite to come to the house. When they arrived. As soon as they entered the house, Ariel took his left foot as he is, you know, nicely put his hand out so she'd walk in the front door and he kicked it with his uh, left foot shut and it automatically locked. He then grabbed her from behind, covered her mouth, took the 20 year old Michelle at the time um, upstairs and he as he carried her, he was slapping her the whole time trying to get her to calm down because she was struggling. And um, <clears throat> he eventually got her to knock out. Like he just was like, I guess he's doing a chokehold on her or from behind. Mm-hmm. Him. Mm-hmm. And when she woke up, get this, she's woken up hog tied from the feet and the hands, a sock in her mouth with duct tape with extension cords, holding her up her arms on two poles that had her suspended in the air, facing a window. Get Wow. So she was like a roast. Pretty much. Pretty much. Wow. He is thick. Now, <clears throat> after this, all she could do is moan. The the angle of her of his house was so high up, it was like an attic part of the secondary mm-hmm. of the second story that you can't you can probably see down, but the people can't see up. Mm-hmm. So she could see the neighborhood moving along down there, but they couldn't see her. Yeah. It was just the viewpoint of the the house he knew what he was doing so he wanted to to inflict the most mental torture he could um he didn't just have his way with her in the first night or the second night she stayed suspended like that for two and a half days dang so when he finally came back into the room he had a bag of mcdonald's and she had pissed herself multiple times he untied her and threw her on a dirty mattress where he sexually assaulted her and raped her for over an hour. Wow. So if you can picture that, I mean, like, you haven't been touched for two and a half days. You've soiled yourself. You're freaking out. You've missed your son's appointment. You know, because your boy, your son was the only thing that was the bright spot in your life. Mm-hmm. And then he cuts you down just to freaking rape you. Yeah. That's traumatized. Yep. And her strength was gone because imagine being stuck in the same spot the whole time. You can't yeah. feel your arms circulation. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. So the most another psychological thing that sucked about this was that he began to lay next to her, telling her about the abuse that he endured as a child. Mm. And that he needed her to stay with him 
And when he went through her driver's license or her purse, he was upset to find out that she was going to be 21. He Why? Went, he wanted someone much younger. Wow. Yeah. To feel his pain when she he was younger? No, he just wanted someone much younger as far as that's what he was into. Mm, oh, he was just sick. Yeah, she was 20 she was 20 years almost 20 21 years almost too uh, old for him basically. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So he he promised he wouldn't kill her. He said that he just wanted to keep her till Christmas. Oh. So this is August. So wow. Yeah, so even <laughs> even if he's correct and he's saying I want to keep you to Christmas, that's a long ways away. About four months. To her, that would be like four years. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So one day while trying to fight him off from another rape, he got mad and began to drag her by the hair downstairs where she thought she he was going to murder her. Instead, he took her down to the basement where it was just concrete and a cold floor. Mm-hmm. He tied her up in, a, in heavy chains and put a motorcycle helmet on her to keep her quiet. He said, I'll, I'll loosen you up when I'll loosen up the chains if you can keep quiet. So morning, noon and night, though, he didn't. For days, he would let leave her stayed. Uh, he would leave her down in the basement, chained up alone in the dark while he went and took the kids to school on the bus every day. Wow. Yep. So he would come home from his job just to sexually assault her, and he would only bring her. He would he would only have a bucket of uh was it the Home Depot, you know, the orange little bucket for her. Yeah. Orange yeah. And he only had uh he forced her to eat the same sausage McDonald's sandwiches every day. Wow. Now I don't know. Puking. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but um if I if I would tell myself if I ever survived this, I would never eat a McDonald's anything. <laughs> I have to agree with you on that one. Man. Yeah. Even if I liked it, I wouldn't eat it because it would remind me. And picture this. There was, ye- you know how sausage um, McMuffins or sausage, anything from McDonald's is always in a yellow wrapper. Mm-hmm. That's all that was down in that basement, which was basically the size of my garage, which is a, the bucket to use the restroom in the, the chains that locked her up, cold concrete floor and mm-hmm. yellow wrappers everywhere. Wow. Yeah. I don't even like sausage, much less McDonald's breakfast crab. <laughs> yeah, that's torture. I don't alone. know that I'd be able to eat that for so long. Well, you wouldn't have a choice. You got to eat something. That's, oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. Heck so, yeah. On the weekends, it got even more terrible. Um, he would invite his friends over to jam and practice before gigs. So they were upstairs and she couldn't do nothing about it. Even if she tried to yell, they wouldn't hear her because the music was too loud. They were playing salsa music and stuff. Mm-hmm. So she would have to listen to the jam the entire time. And it just seemed like no one was looking for her and no one cared about her because no one was going to come for her. Mm-hmm. Which, unfortunately, if you're asking yourself at this point in the in the uh, story, well, where's the family in all this? Mm-hmm. Well, let me tell you where the family is in all this. Um, her family had reported her missing at first, but key in the, the police being 
dumb as nails as usual. Mm-hmm. The police thought that the 20 year old was a runaway for some reason. Wow. <laughs> and after 15 <laughs> months of little or no investigating, she was taken off the national missing persons list. So she just, they pretty much forgot all about her in general. They never look for her. chose to. Yes. And later, wow. later on, you're going to get even more pissed off at her family. But her family li- literally gives up on her. The police give up on her. And she's not even on the national missing persons list. So there's. So she's off the grid. She's totally off the grid. Dang. So <clears throat> after a month, Ariel moved her upstairs again. Uh, mm-hmm. Into the first room again. I guess mm-hmm. she she was good enough, and he began <laughs> to talk to her about the abuse again, and would have confessed to her some stuff, and would just tell her that he couldn't help himself, and that his sexual urges were too strong, and unfortunately, he was going to have to hurt her. What? Whoa. Yes. So he was he was apologetic, but he says, "Hey, I'm still going to have to hurt you." What a jerk! Exactly. So, so if you're saying for 15 months they didn't search for her, that means that's how long she was with him. Oh no, you're gonna you're gonna be really pissed on how this one goes. It's it's a lot longer than 15 months. Okay. So, I'm getting Prepare to because we're gonna yeah we're gonna start getting into this one real quick here. But after a while, he gave Lobo, which was one of his puppies, to Michelle. And this would kind of cheer her up, even though she was crying almost every day because she missed her son. You know, she mm-hmm. knew she she didn't have her son. Mm-hmm. She grew to love the puppy, and he was a comfort to her. But he only ha- she only had him for three or four months because one day, as the puppy got a little bit older, on one of the nights when Ariel came home drunk and was violently, you know, taking it out on her again, the dog actually started barking and biting Ariel to the fact that, you know, he was trying to get him. Yeah. Yeah. So Ariel grabbed Lobo and broke his neck right in front of Michelle. Yep. Mm. So I'm picturing this story, Todd. I am. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, 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 not. I, I feel like I, I've heard it. I've seen it. Oh, okay. Well, you may, you may, you may see it. I mean, maybe it'll come back to you because this was a huge case. This was a case that this, was this dude, this dude, from the moment man. where she's trying to go to the court and get her son and the puppies, that already was like, wait, what? Wait, I know this. <laughs> yeah, you probably, you probably heard about this one because this one was a huge, huge case. Bastard, man. Why would he? I mean, yeah, yeah. So this would. The only thing she had. Exactly. So this is this devastated her again. I mean, how much more can your will be broken? You know. Mm-hmm. So um, he began to leave her because of this incident that supposedly she caused, uh, freezing naked at times in the in the winter. There's no heater up in the upstairs area. Oh God! So she's freezing, and she would stay in this state for seven more months. God. Yes. Um, until one day. Out of nowhere, Ariel decided to bring her a whole wardrobe full of clothes and a TV and allow her to shower. Because she wasn't even showering at this point. For 15 months? Yes. Oh, man. So, um... How the heck did she survive that? So he... Oh, man. 
Yeah, so th- this is longer than 15 months. Th- we're talking 22 months at this point. So for almost two years, he didn't allow her to shower or anything. Yeah, she probably would just wipe herself down with some water and a rag or something. That was about it. Oh, and God. he continued to rape her. And he continued to rape her. Yep. He was flowing with STDs and probably anything. Who knows? Mm-hmm. So here's here's the here's where it takes a different turn as well. Um, one day while watching the news, she saw a report of a local 16-year-old who had gone missing by the name of Amanda Berry. Mm-hmm. She felt distraught putting two and two together, realizing Ariel had been in the next door room doing work the last couple of days. 16-year-old Amanda Berry clocked out of a Burger King shift on, on April 23, 2003. She was on the phone with her sister. As she was walking home, Ariel came around with his van and asked her if she needed a ride. She knew him because Angie, one of Ariel's daughters, was a good friend of hers. So she agreed to go on the ride. But as she entered the van, she didn't mention to the, uh, the man to her sister while on the phone and told her sister that she knew the man and would call her when she got home. Ariel said Angie would, uh, would, would like to see her. So would she like to say hi to her on their way home? Angie said yes and headed to Ariel's house. Upon entering, he said, uh, have a seat. He was going to go upstairs and get her. Then coming down the stairs, he motioned for her to come up, and she was in her room, or uh, she was in her room, and as uh, just to come up and say hi to her. As she passed him on the stairway, Ariel grabbed her, dragged her to the second room, sexually assaulted her, and tied her up. Mm. Yep, I know it. Yep, yep. Okay, so she's on to it. Okay, so <laughs> duck. Tape. I don't. <laughs> yeah, when I when I saw this, it, it, I was curious. Yeah, this is a crazy case. So he duct taped her, did the same thing with a bike helmet, left her in the basement while he was getting the other room together. He made her watch TV reports about her mom uh, being on TV, pleading with whoever had her to release her and tormenting her, telling her about her family and friends not going to being able to find her and that they would never see her again. Even saying, oh, your mom looked pretty dramatic on TV and would laugh in her face about it. Wow. He is so evil. Yep. So he continued to play these mind games. Police did not help because once again, the cops believed that she was a runaway. Mm. And Ariel, a month later, would call Amanda's mom uh, randomly from her cell phone to say that the child is with me and you're never going to find her, laughed and hung up. So again, the police would do nothing. The, Are you serious? Yeah, the police would do nothing, despite the phone call. So the FBI, though, would take charge of the case. And as a part of the special victims unit, not the TV show, they got uh, the recordings and the trans transcripts, but it took six months to get them. Ooh. Because remember, that's early cell phone days, man. Mm-hmm. So uh, they would find out that the call was not a hoax and from the kidnapper when they got those transcripts. The FBI had only one hope that the that the uh, caller would make another call. So off the tower that the cell phone pinged off of, they had several agents come from all over to be in the neighborhood so that if the call was placed again, they can get a, a pretty good proximity from yeah, where it's at. Yeah. The problem is, <clears throat> is they actually had two agents 
on a stakeout a thousand feet from Ariel's house and didn't know. Mm. Yeah. So, um, a few weeks later, after school, Ariel was taking um, ADHD kids, special needs kids, home, right? So, for some unknown reason, he kept one of them in the bus after dropping one off. Mm. And he took them on a two-hour trip around Cleveland. <laughs> so, mm. he, so, you go from 3 o'clock in the afternoon to 5 in the afternoon. Ariel stops at a McDonald's to have dinner by himself leaves the kid on the bus the bus the kid has no idea why he's still on the bus and is not really looking to get out from where he was and then finally ariel takes him home three hours later so um if this happened if this happened today a bus driver usually would get fired for something like this oh easily easily yeah and Um, he would get looked into yeah heck yeah well they did look into him but they didn't fire him and they they did say that the the because the parents were enraged, they said, oh, of course. yeah, they said what happened, and uh, they they're basically like, well, we'll send the police over there to talk to them. The routine was the if the cops were to find him, then they would further the investigation. However, when they went to the house, Ariel wasn't there. The cops were all like, all right, and they left, and there was no follow up. Mm. So again, you would think at that point they'd be more advanced. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, this is 2003, almost 2004, and they're still all right. (laughs) That's why all the tragedies happen because of stupid cops. Yes. So this is this is in 2004, and um, now it's April 2nd of 2004. So nearly nearly a year after Amanda's been kidnapped, Mm -hmm. a 14 year old by the name of Gina de Jesus was hanging out with Arlene Castro. Who is Arlene Castro? The daughter of Ariel. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Another daughter. It all links up. Now, the two wanted to have a sleepover at Grinilda's house because the kids were living with Grinilda. Grinilda Mm -hmm. Grinilda would say no. So as the two parted ways, one went one way, one went the other. Ariel happened to pull up next to Gina and say, hey, do you know where Arlene went? And she said, oh, she went that way. And he's like, oh, can you just hop in the car with me? Um, we could go find her. And then, you know, maybe I'll get you guys something to eat. Okay. So she hops in the car because it's her father. She's thinking, you know, not a stranger danger type thing. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, they get in the van and Ariel quickly turns the car the other way and says, oh, I know which way she went. She went to the house. Let me, uh, let me go uh, get her from the house. So he goes to the house. And once again, soon as he get, uh, soon as she walks in, he grabs her, does the same thing, carries her upstairs. Mm. Or actually, he takes her downstairs into the basement and um, rustling around with her. Um, he ties her up and then he uh, he would tell he wouldn't touch her for a few days until a week later when he asked Gina if she was a virgin. And uh, she knew things were going to get bad from there. And uh, he violated her. And about the, you know. The next day after she was missing, Gina de Jesus, before all the assault stuff happened, one detective from the FBI decided there's too many similarities from the Amanda case as well. And she also alerted her fellow FBI agents that we have a serial kidnapper. There's some Mm. shady stuff going on. Took him that long? Yeah, it took him that long. Um, But the media was uh, front and center after 24 hours after that. It became national news. 
as time went by, Michelle would, um, <clears throat> you know, like try to keep the spirits up of the other girls because obviously now they met each other. He's got them up in three different rooms upstairs chained up at times and just having his way with what, whichever one he wanted. He's still alive, the first one? Mm-hmm. Wow. So at this time, you're fast forwarding, and we're not talking about months. We're talking about years. Um, wow. Yeah. This would come into like his twisted little family where he would take care of all three of them. And he would actually sit down while they're in chains, making Michelle make breakfast for them and then locking them up as before he went to work. Um, over time, Michelle, uh, he would he would claim Amanda as his wife, which was the blonde. Mm-hmm. Gina would be his concubine and Michelle would be whatever he felt she would be. Where wow. she got pregnant four times. By him? By him, yes. Mm. Each time, he would destroy the pregnancy by either throwing her down the uh, stairs or punching her until she had a miscarriage. God. Yeah. So, um, a year later, uh, while watching TV, Michelle had to break the news to Amanda that her mom died of cancer. Mm. And Amanda became so uncontrollable, she cried for three days straight and would vomit several more times. Um, she would just lose it right Mm -hmm. but um, Ariel would find out the reason why she was vomiting was because Amanda was pregnant oh yeah but see this wasn't the Michelle type case he didn't want Michelle to have the baby he wanted Amanda to have the baby Mm -hmm. so he was going to take care of uh, Amanda's baby so um, one night months later Exactly. On December 24th, 2006, Ariel woke up Michelle stating, you have to help me. Amanda's in labor. Michelle unhooked, was unhooked from her chains and made her way to the other room to a kiddie pool that Ariel had set up on the floor for Amanda. And with no sedatives, no pain relievers, Amanda was going to give natural birth to the baby. And Michelle learned a lean down to assist Ariel, who uh, by the, you know, the nice guy that he is. Ariel took out a knife and put it to her throat and said, if the baby dies, you die. Wow. (laughs) Just just give her the responsibility right there. Yep. So she went for the midwife. Yeah, exactly. Midwife with no experience whatsoever. Right. Wow. Oh man. So for hours in labor, the day, uh, you know, from that day would turn into Christmas morning. The baby came out not breathing. Now, with a baby out, you would think that's enough pressure already. You've already helped a baby come into the world. It's not breathing. So Ariel decides, let me let me put a little more pressure on you. Let me put the knife to your neck and say, you better make this baby breathe. Else you stop breathing. You know, he's yelling. Yeah. So she tries CPR. She flips the baby on its side, pushing on the on its back. And then finally it. It coughs up a little bit of the fluid and starts to cry. Whew. Well, he is the equivalent of the devil. Yeah. Yeah. What do you guys think about this guy so far? I mean, other uh, than Gabby said, <laughs> great, great guy. Great guy. <laughs> the guy you didn't want to have a beer with, right? Oh, man. Two of them. Bastard. <sighs> I, I can't stand this dude. Like, I'm waiting to hear the story of what happens to him, the consequences. 
Yeah, you'll you'll hear about that too. But um They should have left the consequences to me. No, I bet. I think you'd still be working on it if uh Gabby would Gabby wouldn't make this one fast. So she'd make this oh, no. for some time. I'd be like, how many years was it? Okay, double that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Put it in the attic. Yeah. That's due to sick. Exactly. So the first 30 minutes after this baby was born, he was turned over to Michelle and Gina, who would then take care of the baby for the rest of the afternoon, while mm. Ariel needed his sleep to take care of Amanda as well. So the newborn was named Jocelyn. It was a little baby girl. And um, it was bittersweet for Michelle because she missed her baby. and But she was able to take care of a newborn, so it kind of like rekindled those whole you know, wounds mm-hmm. or whatever. So mm-hmm. it's good and bad at the same time. Um, at this time, the girl, uh, the girls were in the three rooms, like I said, upstairs, locked between the 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 rooms, and there was a hallway in the in between. As the baby would grow up, it would start to crawl between the rooms, you know, to each one of the girls, and they would keep her biz- keep them busy during the day while Ariel was at work, mm-hmm. to the point where the the baby started to walk, and so they were able to all enjoy the baby. And that would kind of keep their minds off of the terrible things that they would endure during the days and evenings. Yeah. Um, the trippy thing is, at the age of four, the the little Jocelyn would start to ask questions about why are the girls chained up? Why are they locked in different rooms? Wow. And uh, wow, she's already four. Yeah, she's four and years. They're still old. there, and they're still there. Yeah. God. So. Um, you think that's bad? Fast forward three more years. Jesus. It's it's the morning of uh, of uh, Jocelyn's six-year-old birthday, which Ariel decided that as a father he was. Now, he would take the kid out into the city, take it to church functions because it's got to be a Christian baby, right? Oh, of course. You know, that's <laughs> how they do it. Yeah. <laughs> and he would uh, say that it was his girlfriend's kid, even though he didn't have a girlfriend that people knew about. Mm-hmm. Um. So at this time, uh, Michelle is pregnant at this time for the fifth time. It's the morning of Jocelyn's six-year-old birthday. So Ariel decides to grab uh, Michelle and say, hey, come with me real quick. And this is right before the party starts. He then throws her down the stairs of the basement and starts kicking her um, mercilessly, unmercilessly, until she once again starts to bleed out and have a miscarriage on the uh, cold basement floor. He ties her up and then he goes upstairs to proceed to give presents and uh, act like a clown for the six-year-old. This guy is psycho. Man, like, seriously. Yep. So, what were we going to say? No, I'm just, I'm... I know the story and I I like I'll remember pieces and things. I don't remember all the details and it just it makes me so mad. Exactly. This is this is one that really like um how can I say it um it's just one of those that you just wish didn't happen but yeah. And it was recent. Yeah, this is this wasn't too long ago either. So this was not this is not something like it was a long time ago in the past. So Unfortunately, this is a this is a case that we're gonna fast forward because we're getting to the end right here. 
Um, Good. So yeah. Let's see what happens to this fool. Yeah, basically here, let's check this out. So <clears throat> it's five months later now. It's 2013. Okay. Amanda woke up to the sound of her daughter running up and down the hallways. This is early in the morning. The six-year-old mm-hmm. was saying in the hallways, Daddy's gone. Daddy's gone. And Amanda then realized, wait, the doors are open and I'm not chained up. You know, he he didn't chain me up. So she so she was like, Holy crap, and the kids going downstairs, the other door to the stairway is unlocked as well. So um taking some uh what is it? Um she decided to go after the child. The child had went downstairs. So she went downstairs to see that the door was locked from the outside. So she couldn't get it to to open. So she figured, oh crap, you know, like I gotta I gotta um I got to figure out a way to, to, to break out of here. And so she started grabbing stuff from the kitchen. And as she started grabbing stuff from the kitchen, um, she made a little small hole in the door, but it wasn't big enough for her to climb out. Not even big enough for little Jocelyn to climb out. So she, uh, was screaming out the front door and a local man by the name of Charles Ramsey was in his home and heard the commotion. Wait a minute. Yeah, I think you. I think you know this one because this is a famous dead giveaway. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And you know what? Because you said that, let's play it. It's a two-minute clip. Let's do it. Want to hear it? Yes, sir. Here we go. Hey, Charles. Charles, let me talk to you. I'm talking with Charles Ramsey. He's a neighbor. Uh, Walk me through again what happened this afternoon. You 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 heard screaming. Heard screaming. I meet my McDonald's. I uh, come outside. I see this girl going nuts trying to get out of a house so i go on the porch i go on the porch and she says help me get out i've been i've been in here a long time so you know i figured it's a, a domestic violence dispute so i open the door and we can't get in that way because how the door is it's so much that a body can't fit through only your hand so we kick, kick the bottom and she comes out with a little girl and she says call 911 my name was amanda berry did you know who that was when you when she said that? When she told me it didn't register until I got the call in 911. And then I'm like, I'm calling the 911 for Amanda Barry. I thought this girl was dead. You know what I mean? And and she got on the phone and she said, Yes, this is me. And the detective uh Cook, right here. Detective Gregory Cook says, Charles, do you know who you rescued? I said, I said now, and when did you see when did you see Gina? About 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 five. So about five minutes after the police got here, see the girl Amanda told the police, I ain't just the only ones, it's some more girls up in that house. So they went up there, you know, 30, 40 deep. And when they came out was just astonishing because I thought they were gonna come up with nothing. I figured, I mean, whoever she was, and like I say, my neighbor, uh, you, you got you got the, some big testicles to pull this off, bro. Because we <laughs> see this dude every day. I mean, every day. How long have you lived here? I've been here a year. Okay. You should come up from. Right. I barbecue with, with this dude. We eat ribs and, and whatnot and listen to salsa music. You should come up from. <laughs> and you had no indication that there was anything. Hey, bro, not a clue that that girl w- was in that house or anybody else was in there against their will. Because how he is is I, he just comes out to his backyard, plays with the dogs, tinker with his cars and motorcycles, goes back in the house. So he's somebody that you look and you look away because he's not doing nothing but the, the average stuff. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. There's nothing exciting about him. Well, until the day, 
what was, what was the reaction on the girls' faces? I can't imagine the sunlight. Check this out. I knew something was wrong when a little pretty white girl ran into a black man's arms. Something is wrong here. Dead giveaway. Dead giveaway. Charles, thank you very much. Dead giveaway. Thank you very much for your time. And Either she homeless or she got problems. That's the only reason why she ran to a black man. Charles Ramsey, neighbor, heard the screaming. I know the story, man. Well, I know that part. I didn't know the whole detail. I, I just, I remember that. Yeah. Dead giveaway. Dead giveaway. Yeah, man. So that's what happened. That's how they discovered the girls. Um, wow. He made so, one mistake. What happened? No, I'm saying he made yeah. one mistake. He made that one mistake. He sure did. And um, so the shouts of police coming up the stairs, the girls began to scream. Um, a female officer was the first one to see Michelle. Michelle grabbed her so tight that the officer couldn't breathe. Another officer had to pry her off of her. So <laughs> finally, the pair were rescued. And for the first time, like Mr. Uh, Ramsey said, the girls saw sunlight for for the first time in 11 years. Gosh. 11 years. Um, she was only 85 pounds at this point. Uh, the police thought that she was a teenager because she was so frail. Um, but they were shocked to, to, to find out she was 32 years old. Um, on recovery, they would find out that the family, um, <clears throat> after she recovered, they would reach out to her family and they found out that her family had given up on her and also had given her son up for adoption. Oh. So, yeah. Years prior, and the, and the family, and this is the other sucky part of this whole story. I mean, she she gets um, little breaks in this whole story. Um, poor Michelle. Her son, the family that he was given to, had all the rights not to talk to her and did not want to share their son with her. Even, what? Even after hearing about the story, yes. Um, the community rallied around her. Uh, covering the medical bills of all three kids, um, and they were elated of the the, you know, that the families were all reunited with their girls, with exception of Michelle's, obviously. Um, Michelle's family, uh, prior to her kidnapping, uh, you know, obviously the things that they did, and they did not, you know, help her out with the custody. She basically ripped them off completely, and um, she 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 was like, "Screw them, I don't want nothing to do with them." So she she refused to uh, engage them at all. Um, Ariel was taken into custody that night. He was charged with over 900 counts of rape, torture, kidnapping, violence, and other felonies, two counts of child murder, and uh, several counts of child endangerment. Um, he tried to argue that he had uncontrollable sex drives and addiction to porn, and it was the abuse on him when he was a kid that made him do his crimes. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. They always want to blame it on something else. Yeah, exactly. So the judge did not buy it. So what do you think he gave him? I will hope the death penalty, but uh, life in prison without no parole. You, Gabby? I can't remember. I think it was a lot of years, but not life. No, he, he did, you guys are both right. Um, he did get life, and Gabby's right. He got a 1,000 years on top of it. Uh, so you're gonna live your whole life in jail, and if you pass your life, we're gonna give you one more thousand years of your life. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. 
<laughs> Why couldn't they just save their breath and say, you're going to be in there eternally? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's going nowhere. <laughs> they should tie him up while they were in jail. Well, funny you mentioned that. Uh, uh oh. <laughs> yeah, in late 2013, not even a year into his forever sentence, the coward would take his life by way of strangulation. Mm. The police failed once again to monitor him on suicide watch or to know the fact that he was into erotic asphyxiation, which is the act of strangling yourself and masturbating at the same time. So the police aren't even sure if he was attempting to do that or just straight up kill himself. <laughs> he probably killed himself. I think he killed himself. Power. He couldn't take it. Mm-hmm. So with all that um, devastation that that guy caused, he goes out the easy way. Um, Michelle Knight would change her name to um, would change her name and remarry a man uh, that uh, they're deeply in love with. She's wrote two books, bestsellers about her experiences and about how her life has changed. Uh, Gina De Jesus works with the Amber Alert and Missing Persons Unit in Cleveland Police Department. Mm-hmm. Amanda was the one that struggled the most and had to take uh, a lot of uh, therapy. Um, from PTSD and from the trauma that she endured. Mm-hmm. But, but the three stay in contact and keep each other motivated, which is a nice little twist at the end of the story. Also, uh, Amanda wrote a book as well, which helped her with recovery. Um, Jocelyn is now a student and a preteen, and all three victims have worked together in the community to help others that have gone through similar trauma situations in different uh, scenarios. Um, the last thing which really sucks um, about the story as we close it out is that till this day, Michelle has still not been reunited with her son. Her son, um, well, in in an interview in 2016, she said that she would be ready to meet her son with bells on um, when they, but when he's ready to, and when, you know, uh, she doesn't want to force the issue. And uh, so to this day, he's about, 18 or 19 years old so he's at the equivalent to where he can make his own decisions but i'm not quite sure that his real or his adopted family have even mentioned the fact that he's adopted and they have not mentioned the fact that um her real what the real mom had went through so poor michelle has still not seen her son since the day she was kidnapped wow i i have no respect for that family I think their mindset was they didn't want to burden him with all of that and all the trauma that she was going to have coming out of that would not be good for him. But I think it's really selfish. Mm -hmm. He had the right to know that his mom didn't abandon him. She was headed there that day to get him back. Yep. And this wasn't her fault. You know, she been stuck there all those years. Those people, I have no respect for those people. They have no heart. Mm. And what a what a terrible twist of fate. I mean, like you said, she was headed there to 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 most likely have some sort of, whether it was monitored visits or not, she was going to be able to hold her son and see her son again. And mm-hmm. from that moment on, he he's basically been dead to her, and she had to endure everything that was you know that she did. So, I mean, good guy, kudos for her not taking her life. You know, and then starting her life and being able to recover somewhat. 
because I just don't know how you do that going through all that she did and then losing her son like that and still not recovering her son. I mean, that's yeah. If anything, she's the one that should have the PTSD. Yeah. Yeah. yeah surely her motivation was the boy. That's it. That's all she had. Mm-hmm. And then to make it out of it and stayed alive with the hope of having your kid and then you come out empty handed. Yeah. Five miscarriages later. Yeah, I'm quite sure she's not going to have any kid. Yeah. Well, as far as we know, um, her and her husband right now are happy, but I don't think they have kids. Yeah. So. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if she didn't want any. Or yeah, if her body could even happen. No, if her body, yeah, if her body could still, you know. After that many miscarriages, probably not. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's just, unfortunately, too, it's just, you look at this story and you're like, wow, the police dropped the ball. Uh, the yep. the family dropped the ball. Um, you know, neighbors weren't too observant. You know, they had to have seen something over eleven years. That's what I'm saying. Something they they had to have seen or heard something. Mm-hmm. You know, the school district. I mean, there's there's just so many things that went against these girls, and the fact that he was able to use his own daughters as pawns to get what he wanted. Uh. I mean, it just doesn't get much more despicable than this guy. Yeah. Yeah. My thing is, as a neighbor, like, you know, where did that little girl come from? You know, that would be my first, I, you know, mm-hmm. suspicion. Like, wait a minute, you know. Yeah, you never see the man with anybody. You never seen this man with a, a woman and all of a sudden he got a six-year-old. or Not a six-year-old, but, you know, he has a baby girl. Like, yeah, some, you know, it. <laughs> sometimes it's not always great to be a, a nosy Karen as they call it but sometimes being suspicious is pretty good in certain situations like that because you could save a life you know absolutely and I think you're absolutely right I mean because uh, even his bandmates I mean the six year old was running around with his with the bandmates there too so I mean he had him at church or had her at church uh, he probably took her to get McDonald's yeah yeah Come on, man. I mean, there's... why didn't the church members be like, wait a minute, you you have a girlfriend? Like, I, we've never seen you with a girlfriend. And you got a baby? Yeah. And first of all, what is her little girl doing with you, a grown man? Where is the girlfriend? Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, you would be like, okay, that's a little creepy. What's going on here? Yeah. And if you saw Ariel Castro, Matt, when I'll, I'll post this picture, um, that the, the dude's nothing to write home about. And he looks like a creep. So picture him, oh, okay. picture him holding a baby when you see the picture, and even you'd be like, "Why does he have that child?" <laughs> no, that's, that's not normal. In the two thousands, that's not normal. Yeah, in How the two thousands, get abused and kidnapped. Before I met Matt, there was a um, a guy that was interested in me, and he told me. You know, whenever you need a break, you know, I can take the girls to the movies or take them out so you can get a break or whatever. I was like, so I told him, that's creepy. Like, what kind of mother would I be if I let you take my kids? Absolutely. Like, it's creepy enough you're telling me that. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and I mean, anybody could notice, like, why does he have his girlfriend's daughter? Where is she? Mm hmm. I mean, that's creepy. I mean, I hopefully hopefully that wasn't the first date. You know, hey, Gabby, you know, just letting you know, you know, <laughs> you look nice tonight. But uh, if you ever need a babysitter. <laughs> yeah, what on earth? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't. I, yeah. 
Isn't no. that like a big red flag? That's like, a, oh, now I know I can't trust you, not even with my life. Yeah, no. No. That's redder than the jersey I'm wearing right now. <laughs> <laughs> no Yeah, way. no. And vice versa, even if it was a female. Like, let's say for you, Todd, you know, if you were dating someone and say, hey, Todd, by the way, if you ever need a break for your girls, you know, you can always send them to my house. I'm quite sure you would be like, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if it's kind of a double standard for a guy. They'd be like, all right, I can go out tonight. But yeah, I'll take him. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, never mind, man. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But yeah. Wow. I, I never mean. knew about the story, but I did hear about the story. You're right. It was big national news. Um, yeah. This was a case you couldn't get by, basically. Yeah. When you said Charles Ramsey, I said, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> A black guy, yeah, I know. <laughs> One of the most infamous uh, interviews on the street. Did giveaway. Did. It's interesting because when I saw this story, I thought to myself, this would be a good one for the guys to do. That was way back when I was not a part of it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, I want to show Matt this one. I actually circled this one because Carlos, who listens to the show, he was like, dude, he goes, you got to do this one for my hometown. I'm like, okay. Shout out to Carlos. Yep. You know, I ain't gonna lie. When you said Ohio, I thought about him, man. So, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a crazy story. I feel really bad for Michelle. That's yeah. I mean, all of them. That's terrible. But it's just her story. She was there the longest, and I believe at some point when he got Amanda and the younger girl, he despised Michelle and he couldn't stand her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But he wouldn't set her free. Yeah, he knew that if he did, his the jig was up. Mm hmm. Uh, there's only one other part to this story is that um, one of Ariel's, um, what do you call it, uh, brothers might have been involved, but uh, nothing yeah. was ever, or that he knew about it, but nothing was ever prosecuted in that way. So, so I'm quite sure. I'm quite sure. So he, somebody knew. There's no way. Yeah. Yeah, there's no way. That shows they're clearly all twisted. Mm-hmm. Yep. But that's the Ariel Castro Cleveland, Ohio case. Okay. Well, thank you, Todd, for breaking down that story and very disturbing story. Uh, but you broke it down and pretty well, man. So appreciate that, brother. Thank you. And for those listening in, thank you very much. This has been another Grinding True Crime podcast. Uh, if you guys like what you hear, you can, uh, you can, um, Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Just type in the Grinding True Crime Podcast. Or as well, if you're listening to us while you're driving or on the radio, you can listen to us on iTunes, Pandora, Spotify, uh, all those good things. There's <laughs> so many of them. If you listen to podcasts, just look at oh, it Anchor. Yeah, just just type in the Grinding True Crime. I'm quite sure you'll find us on, on your uh, those media. But all that being said, this has been your host, Maddie Matt, along with our narrator for today, Todd Fox, and the other host of the show, Gabby. And we are signing off. Toodaloo. Later. <laughs>